All right, before I get into the Word this morning, I got a, a little video I want you to watch. A little video. We're going to do a little bit of an awareness test. I want to see, because I want to make sure you're paying attention to this message, and, uh, uh, you know, you need to, I want to see how observant you are. So let's do a little awareness test. All right, all right. Let's get the lights back up. Shut that down. How observant are you? Now, for those of you who are listening to this message via podcast and couldn't see the video that we just played, just go to YouTube and type in awareness test. And this video will come up. And in the video, there's a white team and a black team, and they're passing basketballs back and forth to one another. And because your eyes are so focused on counting the number of passes that the white team makes, you completely miss the fact that a man in a bear costume moonwalks right through the middle of the action. A man in a bear costume. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like this is something you'd notice, right? No, you're so focused on counting the passes that you miss it. And those of you that I heard say, I didn't miss it, I saw it, that's because you've seen the video before. Come on, tell the truth. (laughs) Now, the reason you didn't see the moonwalking bear is because of the way your brain works, okay? Your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. And once you give your brain instructions on what to focus on, it deprioritizes everything else and relegates it to the realm of the subconscious. So when you make the decision to focus your attention on one thing, like the ball, you effectively told your brain to ignore everything else, and your brain is very obedient. So you couldn't tell me how many passes the black team made. You couldn't tell me the ethnic makeup of the black team. You couldn't tell me how many players were wearing hats or headbands. You couldn't tell me any of those details, or even how many, how many members or players were on each team. You, you, you could probably not tell me more than maybe one of those details that I just asked because you told your brain there's only one thing you need to see, and that's how many passes the white team makes, okay? So you only saw what you told your brain to focus on. This is what I want to suggest to you to, this morning. Jesus is the moonwalking bear. Jesus is the moonwalking bear. You say, well, Jesus is invisible. No, he's not. He's just ignored. You know, we, we, we all say things like, Jesus is everywhere, and he's everywhere present, he's with everybody, but when we imagine where he is, we never imagine him walking right through the middle of something. We see him in the margins, off to the side, kind of watching things go down, up in the heavens, looking down, in another dimension, in another realm, inaccessible, unseeable, completely inaccessible to everyone. Let me tell you something, Jesus is not in the margins, he's right in the center of everything. I mean, he's walking right down the middle, right in the center. He's all up in the mix of everything. And the reason people don't see him is not because he's invisible. It's because people are focused on other things. And Jesus is largely ignored. The reason you don't see Jesus every day is because you're not looking for him every day. You see, we don't know it, but every morning we wake up and we command our brains to focus on the ball. Every morning we wake up and we command our brains to be watching out for the passes that we have to make today and the passes that we have to catch today. See, life is a big game, and the way the game goes forth is you make passes and you catch passes. You've got to make passes and you've got to catch passes, and only then can you succeed in life. And so often you look back on places in your life where things fell through, it's because you failed to catch a pass. You say, man, I should have taken that scholarship. They threw the ball at me, but I, I, I dropped the ball. I could have had that ball. I could have had that scholarship. I could have had that degree. Say, man, I missed the ball when I was growing up, when I should have been paying attention in school. When I was sitting in that geometry class, the, the, the teacher was throwing me the ball, but I missed the ball. You see, we're constantly looking for the ball that we have to catch. You know, Everywhere you go, you're looking to see if you're supposed to catch a pass or make a pass. If you're single and you're ready to mingle, You're constantly looking around to see if Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in the room. You walk into a restaurant, you're looking around. Is she here? Is she here? Is she here? Hello, Mrs. Beautiful. Is she? No, she ain't looking back. She ain't the one. I threw the pass and she... All righty then. I threw the pass and she blocked it. She rejected it. I'm looking for somebody else to throw a pass. Is there somebody throwing a pass at me? Is there somebody throwing a pass at me? And you're so busy looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright that you miss the fact that Jesus just comes moonwalking right through the restaurant. And he moonwalks right on out of there and you completely missed him. If you're a shopper, you're looking to catch a sale. Is there a sale? You're looking everywhere. Is there a sale? Is there a coupon I can get? How many coupon collectors do we have in the house this morning? Come on, can I get a witness? 
I'm looking for the words 90% off, 75% off, 80% off. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to try to catch a sale. If you're a salesman, you're looking to make a sale. Maybe if you're a real estate agent, you're looking for somebody who's looking to buy a house. You're looking to make a pass or to catch a pass. If, if you're an investor, you're looking to catch an upswing in the market. Whatever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do, it's so easy to get focused on making and catching passes. And in the process, you can completely miss Jesus as he dances right through the middle of your affairs. Now, there's a problem in the church today, and the problem is that the church has reduced Christianity down to a competition between two opposing teams. You see, we're the white team, and they're the black team. The church is the white team, and the world is the black team, and, and we want to make sure we stay on the white team and don't go on the black team. When we talk about compromise, it's about Players on the white team playing for the black team momentarily and trying to jump back onto the white team. And it's us and them. See, we're the right team. They're the wrong team. See, we're the righteous team and they're the wicked team. See, we're the conservative team and they're the liberal team. Can I get a witness in the house? And we think that all God wants from us is to make as many passes as we can make and to try to block the passes of the opposing team. And so we protest and we speak out against this and we speak out against that and we make our passes and we pass the ball of morality and we pass the ball of education and, and we pass the ball of enterprise and the arts. And what we don't realize is that all we've done is set ourselves up as the world's competitors. You know, when we say things in the church like, you know, man, there's such excellent music in the world. Shouldn't we have excellent music in the church? And so pretty soon, we're trying to make the music in the church just as excellent as it is in the world. You say, man, in the world, they got such excellent movies. We need some excellent Christian movies. So now in the church, we're trying to make movies that are just as excellent as the movies in the world. We say things like, man, look at the, the videography they got in the world. Look at the business strategy they got in the world. Look at the administration and the leadership they got in the world. Shouldn't it be just as excellent in the church? And pretty soon all we are trying to do is to try to catch up and make as many passes in the church as they're making in the world. Why are they making more passes in the, in the world than we're making in the church? And we're trying to compete with the business models of the world. And we're trying to catch up with the technology of the world. And it's not that any of these things are wrong. We should have these things in the church. We should be doing these things in the church. But they should never become our focus. Amen. We can get so focused on doing things with excellence and doing things bigger that Jesus moonwalks right by. But we're too busy trying to make sure everything's excellent. And Jesus sometimes doesn't care about it. He just wants us to drop the ball and start dancing with the dancing bear. Can I get a witness this morning? We are not the rivals of the world. There is no competition between a white team and a black team. And if we are focused on, the on what the world is doing and our responses to it, we're going to miss what Jesus is doing among us. The great problem in the church today is that the world cannot see the moonwalking bear because it is too blinded by our endeavors to compete with it. Mm. See, while we're so busy trying to compete with the world and rival with the world, all the world sees is our negative response to it. It doesn't see the fact that Jesus is moonwalking right through the midst of it. You know, the thing I love about this video is that the moonwalking bear passes right through the middle of both teams. He doesn't join one. See, we have this mistaken idea that Jesus is on our side and Satan is on their side. You know, if we imagine the church and the world as two teams, we see Jesus as the captain of the team called Christianity. And Satan is the captain of everything else. Can I just drop a little knowledge for you this morning? Neither Satan nor Jesus are on anybody's team. Neither one of them are. People think Satan's on their team. Satan is not on your team. He wants you to think he's on your team so he can lure you to the place where he can destroy you. He's the thief that comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Satan is not on anybody's team. But you know what? Jesus isn't either. You remember John cha uh, Joshua chapter 5? One of my favorite passages of scripture, Joshua chapter five, God had commanded Joshua to take the city of Jericho and Joshua went about trying to figure out how to do it. And he was standing outside of the walls of Jericho and he saw that this was an impenetrable city and that the doors were shut and that there was no way in and there was no way out. He thought, how am I going to take this city? I know God's commanded me to do it, but it's impossible. All of a sudden he looks over and he sees an angel of the Lord standing with a drawn sword. Now, when you see an angelic being with a sword, you need to find out what side he's on. <laughs> So Joshua said, I need to go find out what side he's on. So he walks up to the angel. He says, are you for us 
or for our enemies. Translation, are you on the white team or on the black team? I need to know what kind of angel you are. And the angel looked at him and said, no. No. That's his answer. No. Uh Uh-uh. No. You got the wrong question, Jack. The question is not, is God on your side? The question is, are you on God's side? He said, I haven't come to join your army. I've come to invite you to join mine. I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and that's why I've come. See, the thing that us, we, we believers are always trying to get God on our team. And we say things like, God, do you have my back? You know, God, are you with me? God, oh, and what we're trying to do is, God, will you bless these passes we're making? God, I'm getting ready to make a pass. Will you bless this pass? God, I'm getting ready to catch a pass. Will you bless this pass? And we wonder why God doesn't bless some of the stuff we do, even if it's good stuff, because sometimes we're making passes and not focused on the fact that Jesus is moonwalking right through the middle of the thing, and we can't see him. I got two questions this morning. First question, what is it going to take for the church to notice Jesus and to acknowledge who he is? That's the first question. I mean, I understand the world doesn't know who he is and the world ignores him. The world world doesn't see. He can moonwalk right through the world. Nobody sees him. The problem is he also moonwalks right through the church. Comes in the service in the midst of praise and worship. Moonwalks in. Nobody sees him. So he moonwalks right on out. Let me try the next church. One of these churches, somebody's going to notice me. We can even go to a service where he was never acknowledged or noticed and go home saying, we had church today. (laughs) What's it going to take for the church to notice Jesus and to acknowledge who he is? Second question. What's it going to take for the world to notice Jesus And to acknowledge who he is. Now as we approach these two questions. I'd like to draw your attention to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. And as we're turning there. Let me say that today is Palm Sunday. That's why there are all these palm branches everywhere. Palm Sunday is the day that we commemorate what happened in the passage of scripture. That we're about to read right now. So when you get there say amen. Matthew 21. All right, this is what it says. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mountain of Olives, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, understand that Jesus was 33 years old when this went down. He had walked the earth for 33 years, and nobody acknowledged, recognized, or understood who he was till this day. Not to mention he had ministered openly for three years. And he had ministered openly and ministered with great power for three years. He had healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, opened blind eyes and deaf ears, raised the dead, walked on water, calmed storms, and preached the kingdom of God. And yet nobody seemed, seemed to consider the ramifications of all of this. Nobody stopped to say, hold on a second. This guy's more than a rabbi, more than a teacher, more than a priest. What's going on here? Nobody seemed to stop and say, this is evidence that demands a verdict. You know, it's interesting that people can actually see God do awesome things right before their very eyes and still walk away without making a decision for him. I never have understood that, that you can actually see miracles. I hear people say, if I saw miracles, I'd believe. You know what? I've seen people see miracles in their face and even the person that received the miracle doesn't believe. 
Have you seen those Bethel videos, Father of Lights, yeah. Furious Love, yeah. and what was the first one? The Finger of God. Yeah. If you haven't seen those, you've got to get those. Get, yeah. get on Amazon, order those videos. I think some of them are on YouTube. I was watching the first one, The Finger of God, and I nearly jumped out of my skin. I thought my spirit was going to jump out of my body and slap my soul in the face. <laughs> That's how crucial it was. But there's a scene in that movie. There's a scene, in, and, and it's real. It's reality. It's just basically people going out praying for people on the street. But there's one scene where these guys go to this basketball court where all these guys are playing basketball, and one of them's got a hearing aid in his ear, and they say, "Hey, hold on a second, hold on a second. You got that hearing aid? How bad is your hearing?" He says, "Well, without the hearing aid, I basically can't hear at all in this ear." They go, "Great, take the hearing aid out. We want to pray for you. We believe God's going to heal you." So he goes, okay, cool. So he takes the hearing aid out. They put their hand on his ear and they pray. And guess what happens? He starts hearing out of that ear. And they're like, so how do you feel? He's all, hey, I can hear. I can hear. They're like, wait a minute. You can hear? How well can you hear out of that ear? Just as perfectly as I can out of the other ear. Like, wait a minute. You can hear perfectly now out of that ear. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, so God just worked a miracle right here. And he goes, huh. Huh. All right, whose ball is it? And they went back to the basketball game. Went right back to the basketball game. You know what those guys did? They just moonwalked right off that court. Just moonwalked, right? I mean, God just worked this miracle right here before our eyes. And nobody seemed to care. Nobody seemed to draw any conclusions from it. I remember that happened to me back when I was 17 years old. And I, I was just coming out of the prayer chapel where I had prayed for three hours for God to use me in healing. And as I'm driving home that day, I saw a lady laying out in the middle of the street screaming and her baby was laying out in the street a few feet away from her screaming and a crowd was gathered around her and a car was stopped in front of her and a woman was standing there looking frantic. And uh, I said, oh man, that's terrible. That lady looks like she hit them in her car. And the Lord said, yeah, here's what I want you to do. Park your car and go pray for them. I said, no, 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 Lord, I couldn't do that. Isn't it funny? I was praying for three hours for God to use me in healing. And when God said, do it, I said, no, 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 I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Why? Because I'm too afraid of rejection. See, that's, that's the reason why most of us don't dance with Jesus, because we're too afraid of rejection. See, Jesus is dancing by himself. Everybody else is making passes, and Jesus is dancing. If you start dancing, all of a sudden you look like you're dancing by yourself. What are you doing? I'm moonwalking. Why are you moonwalking when we're playing basketball? Whenever God calls you to do something, he calls you to moonwalk when the rest of the world is playing basketball. And the reason we don't do it is because we don't want to look silly in the eyes of the world. But listen, the world looks silly because Jesus is moonwalking right in front of them and nobody sees it. It's time for the church to start dancing. So the Lord says, get out of your car and come dance with me. Come pray for this woman. And I argued with the Lord for six blocks. Past the scene. Finally, I, the Lord won. I turned around, drove back, got out of my car, went over there, pressed my way through the crowd. Everybody's screaming. The woman's screaming, clutching her legs. The lady told me I hit her with my car. I didn't see her. Pl- came around the corner at full speed. Bam! Her baby went flying. She went flying. Hit the ground. The baby hit the ground. This woman looks like both of her legs are busted. She can't get up. She's screaming. She's in pain. Nobody will stand. I'm like, can I pray for you? The lady didn't even look at me. Finally, I just put my hand on her shoulder and prayed the most faithless prayer that I could possibly muster. Father! Touch her, please, something. As I prayed that faithless prayer, the peace of God fell. Everything got quiet. I looked down at the woman. I said, how do you feel? She said, I feel fine. I said, what happened? She said, all the pain's gone. I said, all the pain's gone? She's like, yeah, all the pain's gone. I said, well, let me help you up. I'm thinking we're about to start a revival right here. You know? I'm thinking this whole neighborhood's about to get saved. I'm going to have her testify and walk, you know, you know, walk her back and forth. What's happening over here? <laughs> Pastor, this woman got hit by a car. You know, it's going to be a Benny Hinn meeting in a second. <laughs> What's happening over here? Steve Brock, sing it again. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, that's what I thought was about to go down, you know. Now, I've been watching Benny Hinn. I'm doing it on the street. And she gets up. I'm like, you're healed. The baby even got healed. The baby stopped crying. She picked up the baby. The baby was fine. And I said, yes, Jesus, Jesus did this. And the woman got on her car and drove off. And Jesus did this. And the people start turning, walking away. I said, wait, wait, it's Jesus. And everybody left me standing there going, but Jesus, it's Je- wait, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. 3,000 are supposed to be added to the church that day. <laughs> This ain't the way it's supposed to happen. And Jesus just moonwalked right on out of there. He came in and did an awesome deed and nobody seemed to notice what he did or what it meant. The significance of it. It happened to Jesus all the time. 
You know, it happened to Jesus in John chapter 5 when he went to this place called Bethesda. And Bethesda was a a system of pools. Really what it was was hot springs. Today it would be like a spa. You know, people would pay to go in there. You know, like a mud bath. And every once in a while, you know, there'd be a a release under the earth and it'd start bubbling, you know, and getting hot. But see, they didn't know that. And so when when the water would start bubbling, they believed it was an angel that would come down from heaven and stir the water. And they thought, now I don't know where they got this idea from, but they thought the first person to jump in the water would get healed. So these people were there for decades just looking at the water. And the water would start bubbling and people with one leg hopping over toward, you know, people, roll my wheelchair in there, help me get in the water. And it was a mad dash to get in the water. And, and, and there was always just a bunch of disappointed people. Jesus walks in, multitude of sick people, looking at the water, and the real healer just walked in. And he walks up to a man and he says, do you want to be made whole? And the man's still looking at the water. Yeah, I want to be made whole, but I need somebody to help me in the water. See, I ain't got nobody to help me in the water. When the water starts bubbling, somebody always gets in before me. (laughs) And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. Instantly, the power of God hits the man. He jumps up. Now, wait a minute. Have you ever done something awesome? And nobody noticed it. (laughs) You ever just drop some knowledge? You just said something deep. Bam. And the people are like, huh. (laughs) You ever been on a basketball court and you just made an amazing shot? And you looked around and everybody just went, oh, whatever. You ever just felt insignificant like nobody noticed? Watch Jesus. Take up your bed and walk. And the man jumps up and walks. And Jesus goes. Did you all see the man was lame? Now he's walking. Everybody's still looking at the water. Nobody looks at Jesus. I would have started a healing line. I mean, you would have, you would have thought it was the church of God in Christ. A healing line would have formed so quick. That's what I think. You ever been to the church of God in Christ when they had a healing line? Where they had like 300 people in line. They pay, pray for them in 15 minutes. Everybody just comes by. Touch. Pop. You know, just, just everybody gets a slap on the head. That's the prayer for him. Touch, 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 touch. You know, one person gets healed. You would think everybody would say, forget the water. Jesus is here. But nobody noticed that a miracle had happened right in front of them. Because they were too focused on the water. And Jesus is like. Just moonwalked right on out of there. And you know, a lot of times people noticed, people saw, but they misinterpreted what he did. Yeah. Has, yeah. has Jesus said, you ever seen God do something awesome in somebody's life, but they yeah. interpreted it as a bad thing? Yeah. How about when Jesus went to the region of the Gadarenes? Mark chapter 5. Yeah. Scripture says he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. They get in their boat. They'd be like, Lord, where are we going? He said, we're going to the region of the Gadarenes. And the disciples start talking about talking to one another. They say, you know what's over there, right? You know, you know who you know who lives over there. Right off, right as soon as you get off the boat, I ain't getting out the boat. <laughs> Jesus, you you on your own on this one. And it says it. It says when they got to the other side, he got out of the boat. Yeah. Meaning the twelve were like, Lord, we're just gonna kick it right here. We're just a little tired. Because they knew what was waiting for him. You know what was waiting for him? A man who was possessed by a legion of demons. He was so demon possessed that all he did was scream and cut himself and run around the tombs naked. The disciples like, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so they're like, get the binoculars out. We're gonna, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Let's see what Jesus does here. And so Jesus goes right over to him, and the man comes running and screaming, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus commands the demons to come out. They run into the pigs. The pigs run into the water, and the man is completely set free. And suddenly he washes, cleans up, puts on clean clothes, and the people of the town come and see the man clothed and in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. And for some reason, this was a bad thing. So they begged him to leave their region. And you know what he did? Just moon walked on out of there. Moon walked on out of there. But most of the time, what Jesus gets is just apathy. No passion. No kind of emotional response. 
He goes to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. His hometown. Everybody knows him. That's the big problem. Because everybody knows him, everybody's familiar. See, in the place where everybody knows you, nobody actually knows you. You know, you can't do anything great there. Nobody sees your greatness there because everybody knows you as a little kid. You know, the little kid you grew up with, you know, sometimes I run into people that knew me since I was a little kid and they can't say anything about what God's doing in my life. Now, all they say is, I remember what you did when you were in the sixth grade. And yeah, I remember. Yeah, I know the Lord's working some good thing. The Lord's doing something. We're proud of you, but you're not proud of me. You don't even know what I'm doing. You have no idea what I'm doing. Come on, somebody. Jesus goes to Nazareth. He goes into the into the synagogue and he starts to teach. And the people are sitting, it says he was dropping knowledge. He was dropping wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was bringing some profundity. <laughs> he had some one-liners that, that should have been knocking people to the floor. But people were like, who does he think he is? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Please, trying to be a rabbi. Nobody see you as no rabbi. Don't make me a desk or something. I need a new couch. Get back in here. You can take over your daddy's business. Ever since your daddy died, his carpentry business died. Why? Because you running around teaching instead of making furniture for this town. You know, I used to play trumpet in the orchestra at my church. And when I started preaching in college, I remember going and preaching at this, at this big service. And, and about 40 people gave their lives to Christ in that service. It was so powerful. And I came back and I was sharing with somebody in, in the orchestra at the church. I was like, he was like, where were you last Sunday? I said, I was preaching at this church and 40 people got saved. He was like, yeah, well, you should have been in the orchestra here playing your trumpet. I said, are you, are you serious? Like, is this a joke? Are you joking, right? I just told you 40 people gave their lives to Christ and you think I should be playing the trumpet in the orchestra? You have no idea who I'm called to be and what I'm called to do. And Jesus is like, you guys think I should be doing carpentry? For crying out loud. And it said, no mighty work could he do in Nazareth. So you know what he did? He secretly healed a couple of little sick people. All right, diabetes be gone. <laughs> that blood pressure's got to go. And then he just moonwalked on out of there. Moonwalking out of there. Every place Jesus went, everything he did seemed to go virtually unnoticed. I mean, people saw it, and sometimes they were temporarily amazed, but it wore off. And nobody was willing to come to any conclusions about who he was. Nobody was willing to consider the ramifications of his work. People would look at his works and say, wow. But they wouldn't stop and say, but what does that mean? What kind of a man? And they would ask the question, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him. But they never answered the question. They would ask it, but wouldn't answer it. They were afraid to come to any conclusions about who he was. But on this particular day, in Matthew 21, something was different. Something changed on this day. On this day, there was a corporate and viable understanding and acknowledgement of who he was for the first time in his life. What was different about this day? Well, it all started with Jesus instructing his disciples to go steal him a donkey. Now, Jesus, he tells his disciples, I want you to go up the hill and around the corner. You're going to find a donkey tied to a post. I want you to take the donkey and bring it to me. They said, wait a minute. You want us to knock on the door and ask the guy if we can take his donkey? No. I didn't say ask. I want you to take it. I'm, I'm instructing you to steal that donkey and bring it to me. They're like, Lord, you can get shot with a bow and arrow for stealing somebody's donkey in Israel. You don't mess with a guy's wife or his donkey. That's the, that's the rule around here. You can get shot for touching a man's donkey. And Jesus says, if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord has need of it. So they go up around the corner and they see the donkey. They're like, there it is, Lord. Please don't let anybody see us. And as they're untying the donkey, this big black dude comes out on the porch. Hey, what you doing with my donkey? And they're like, the Lord has need of it. He's like, oh, cool. Why didn't you say so? As you were. I remember I was I, I remember I was witnessing in East Oakland one day, passing out tracts, putting you know little door hangers on doors, you know little door little gospel. Jesus loves you, just hanging it on a door. And I went into this little apartment complex, and I walked up the stairs to the top, and I put a door hanger on the door, and I got halfway down the stairs, and I heard the door open at the top, and I looked up, and the biggest black man I've ever seen before in my life 
comes out of that door and he starts walking down the stairs. You were trying to break in my house. I was like, no, I'm offering Jesus. I was putting the gospel on your door. And I showed him the door hanger. He's like, oh, okay, it's cool. He walked off. I was like, he was about to hit me hard, fast, and often. I thought Jesus wanted to protect me from danger. He's putting me in danger. So they come with the stolen donkey. And they put Jesus on it. And, he, and they said, well, what are we doing now? He says, walk me into Jerusalem. Now they're on the Mount of Olives. They got to go down into the valley and up, up the hill and go into Jerusalem. He says, walk me to Jerusalem. They're like, what are we doing? Says, Just do it. All right. So they start walking on a donkey. And they're coming down the Mount of Olives, coming down the hill of the Mount of Olives. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. So people outside the city are congregating outside the city and down in the valley. And they look up on the side of the hill. And they see somebody on a donkey with a little entourage with them. They're like, is that somebody on a donkey? Ron, Ron, is that somebody on a donkey? Yeah, that's right, Jimmy. He's on a donkey. What's he doing on a donkey? Wait a minute. Check your emails. Is there a king coming to town today? See, the thing you need to realize is that when you, if you saw somebody coming down the hill on a, on a beast of any kind, you look for two things. Is it a white horse or is it a donkey? If it's anything other than those two things, you're fine. Go on about your business. Nothing changes. But if it's a white horse or a donkey, you take notice. Why? Because if somebody comes down the hill on a white horse, he's a king. And if he's riding on a white horse, he's coming to make war on your town. So if you look up and see a white horse coming down the hill and somebody on it, you, you forget picking the cotton. Whatever you're doing, you get back in that city and you close the doors. You lock up, you get your archers in the tower, you get your army ready because you're about to go to war. Somebody's about to attack you. But if you look up and see a man on a donkey coming down a hill, he's a king also. But if a king comes on a donkey, it means he's coming to make peace. So they're like, somebody's coming on a donkey, he's a king. But there's only 12 dudes with him. What kind of king is that? So, uh, so Ron goes, hey, Paco, I want to make sure this is ethnically diverse, the story. Paco, you and Jamal run up there to see, see who that guy is coming down the hill on a donkey. So Paco and Jamal, they run up there and they get close enough to see is Jesus and his 12 disciples. So they run back. They're like, hey, Ron, it's Jesus. And his 12 disciples. And Ross like, what is Jesus doing on a donkey? He's not a king. He's a rabbi. Wait a minute. He's a rabbi who can heal the sick. He's a rabbi who can calm storms. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Hold on. We got to think this through. Jimmy, did you say you saw him raise the dead? And Jimmy's like, yeah, I was in this town called Bethany. And this guy named Lazarus had died. And he had been in the, t- in the tomb for four days already. This dude, Jesus, shows up, stands at the mouth of the tomb, says, roll away the stone. And when we rolled away the stone, he, she shouted, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out alive. Okay, dude, that's not a normal everyday rabbi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to think about this for a sec. Wait, hold on a second. Where was he born? Somebody said, Nazareth. Nope, nope, nope. I heard this story. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in this little town called Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, but he's from Bethlehem. So wait a minute. He was born in Bethlehem. Are you serious, dude? Hold on a second. Micah chapter five, verse two says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come the one who will rule my people is hold on a second. He's from Bethlehem and he's on a donkey. Wait a minute, wait. And somebody else jumps up and says, hold on a second, I got some more scripture. Zechariah 9, 9. It says, rejoice, daughter of Zion, for behold, your king comes gentle and riding on the foal of a donkey. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Do you know what this means? All this time he's walked among us and we didn't know who he was. And all of a sudden the revelation went viral. And it spread through the crowd in a moment. And the people in the crowd who got the revelation first, they said, we got to do something about this. We got to warn the people back there in the city that the king is coming. Because we don't want the king to enter into the city and the city not know who the king is that's coming into the city. 
He's been moonwalking among us for three years, but now suddenly we know who he is. Say, what do we do? What do we do? How do we welcome a king? Somebody said, we need some palm branches. We need some. So they start climbing up in trees. Do you know how high a palm tree is? These people were serious. These people were not playing. They climbed up and started cutting down palm branches and they start laying them out and waving them, waving palm branches. Why palm branches? Because the palm branch is the sign of victory. The palm branch is the sign of victory. They were saying, you're victorious. And they were waving the palm branches at Jesus for two reasons. Number one, to acknowledge, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know that you're the one. I know that you're the king. Look, I know who you are. I recognize who you are. But secondly, it was a sign to the people up there in the city. There's one coming who is victorious. And so get ready. Recognize who he is. This was a sign of victory. And then secondly, they were shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, which is an Aramaic term, which means save now. Now, hold on a second. They're shouting victory. Save now. Which is it? Because if you got victory, you don't need to be saved right now. (laughs) You know what they were doing? They were waving the palm branch to him going, you got victory. And then they were shouting Hosanna saying, and we need to be saved. You got victory. We need to be saved now. You got victory. We need you to save us now. We know that you got victory, but I got to get me some of that victory that you got. I need you to share your victory and your power and your glory with me. And the two of those things together, the declaration of the victory of Jesus and the confession of the individual need for Jesus caused the revelation to go viral so that it reached the city before he did. We started by asking a question. What will it take? Actually, two questions. Number one, what will it take for the church to notice Jesus and to recognize who he is? You know what it'll take? He's got to come riding on a donkey. You see, the church, we open our arms and we open our hearts to receive Jesus, but not riding on a donkey. We receive the walking Jesus. We want him to walk in our lives like he walked into the home of Jairus and raised up his daughter for the dead. See, whenever Jesus came walking somewhere, he was received as the healer, as the deliverer, as the fixer, as the savior, as the problem solver, as the way maker. Amen. The one who makes a way out of no way. Ha! And the one who opens doors that you cannot see. Ha! See, that's the Jesus who walks. But the Jesus who comes riding on a donkey, he comes as the king. He comes as the boss. He comes as the one in charge. You see, when Jesus comes riding on a donkey into your city, it's a sign that you used to be in charge. It's a sign that it used to be your city. It's a sign that you used to be on the board. It's a sign that you used to be the chairman. Suddenly, it's a sign that your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. And the reason the church doesn't recognize Jesus is because we're not looking for the donkey. We're not looking for him to come riding. We're not looking for his kinghood ship. Kingship. We're looking for his saviorhood, but not his kingship. We're not looking to be ruled. We're looking to be helped. And because we're constantly looking to be helped, our eyes are on the ball and we're playing the game. But he comes, he comes moonwalking through because he's only recognized when we start looking for the donkey. The donkey is what identified him as king. And the reason the church doesn't recognize Jesus is because we're not looking for the donkey. The second question, what will it take for the world to notice Jesus and to recognize who he is? Well, first of all, the church has to do two things. Number one, the church has got to wave some palm branches. See, the first reason why the world does not recognize Jesus is because the church is not proclaiming his victory. Instead of proclaiming his victory, we're simply lamenting everything that's gone wrong in the world. We're supposed to be declaring that Jesus has changed it all. Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? 
It means the gospel is the message that everything that sin has done wrong in the world has been made right by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that when we look at what is going wrong in the world, instead of lamenting and criticizing and judging and pointing the finger and saying, that's wicked, we need to be waving palm branches and saying, yes, I know that the the prince of this world is wreaking havoc, but Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. We need to be declaring victory instead of being afraid. We're constantly afraid of what's happening in the economy and afraid of Obamacare and afraid of of what's happening in the White House and afraid of what's happening in Congress and and afraid of what might be happening with the tectonic plates in California and afraid of wars and rumors of wars and global warming. We're so afraid that we're becoming prophets of doom. When we should be waving palm branches and saying, yes, but one who is victorious is among us. One who is victorious over it all. He triumphed over powers and principalities. He made a public spectacle of them. Jesus is victorious. We got to stop criticizing and start waving palm branches. And we got to stop criticizing one another and start waving palm branches. Listen, when somebody comes to you and tells you that they've fallen in some way, instead of pointing the finger, start waving a palm branch. When you hear, and listen, we're hearing it right and left. Pastors are falling and men and women of God are falling into sin. And the church is criticizing instead of waving palm branches. We need to start waving palm branches. We got to learn how to wave palm branches. We got to start declaring the victory of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm out of breath. If I'm going to preach like this, I got to work out more. Oh, Lord. Don't judge me now. Wave a palm branch at me. Woo. Secondly, the church has to start shouting Hosanna. We got to start crying out Hosanna. This is the key. You know, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. And in that book, he talked about what he called level five leadership. And one of the characteristics of a level five leader for Jim Collins is that a level five leader always looks out the window to give credit and looks in the mirror to find blame. That is, when something goes wrong, a level five leader looks in the mirror and says, I'm responsible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when something goes right, a level five leader looks out the window and says, they're responsible. A level five leader is looking at his team going, man, without them, I wouldn't have been able to do anything. And when something goes wrong, a level five leader looks in the mirror and says, if it wasn't for me, that wouldn't have went wrong. A level five leader knows that leadership is the solution to every problem, and it's also the reason for every problem. Now, if the church would simply understand, and this is, this is the business world, this is the secular world coming up with this. Sounds very humble, doesn't it? Now, what the church needs to start doing is looking out the window to declare the victory of Jesus and look in the mirror to cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save. But we're looking out the window going, Lord, save them folks out there. And then we're looking in the mirror going, we are victorious. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like that tax collector and that sinner out there. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like that Samaritan over there. I thank thee, God, that I was... You know that the Pharisees used to pray every morning. I thank thee, Lord, that I was not born a Pharisee. Uh, I was not born a Gentile. I thank thee, Lord, I was not born a slave. I thank thee, Lord, that I was not born a woman. Every morning. You know what we need to start doing is we need to start looking out the window to declare the victory of Jesus Christ. When you look out the window and you see everything that's going wrong, just wave a palm branch and declare the victory of Jesus Christ. But when you see, when you see that something needs to change, we need to look in the mirror and say, Lord, Hosanna, come save now. Why? Because God is not looking at the world. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you know why the world doesn't see Jesus? It's because the church hasn't learned that if we begin to pray and if we begin to seek God's face and if we turn from our wicked our wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven and he will heal this whole area. 
essence, in order for the world to recognize Jesus and acknowledge who he is, the church has to recognize Jesus and acknowledge who he is. It starts with the church. And it starts with a church that is willing to dance with the moonwalking bear. It starts with a church that's looking for the bear. And yeah, we continue making our passes. I'm not saying stop making and catching passes. You've got to continue to move forward in your life. You've got to get a better job. You've got to get a nicer car. You need to find that wife that God has set apart from you. And by the way, I got a lot to say about that. Because when God said it's not good for the man to be alone, there was a specific context in which he said it. The man that God said it about was a man who was formed in his image, filled with the Holy Spirit, and had been given a job and lived in God's presence. And once those things were in place, God said it's not good for the man to be alone. But ladies, come on somebody. Mm. Ladies, if you find a man that is not filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't live in God's presence, ain't got no job, and, and God gave him his word too, ain't got no word, it's good for that man to be alone. So yeah, you got to make some passes and you got to catch some passes, but your focus is not on the passes. Your focus is on the moonwalking bear. You're looking for Jesus. And this is the key. The church has to get over itself. And when I say the church has to get over itself, I mean, every member of the church, we have to break free from our fear of rejection. Amen. Amen. How many of you have shared the gospel with somebody this week who did not know Jesus? Don't lift your hand because I don't, well, whether, whether, whether I tell you to lift your hands or not, it's not going to be any different. Because probably ain't nobody's hand going to go up except maybe one or two. The fact, and I know it got real quiet right there. The fact is, most folks don't talk to anybody about Jesus. Why? Because everybody's making passes. I want to play that game. But I'm not about to start dancing with the moonwalking bear. I might be humiliated. I might be rejected. You know what? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. If you looked out the window and saw Jesus moonwalking up San Pablo and nobody noticed him, what do you do? What do you do? I'm asking. Dance with him. Go out on the street. Just start moonwalking next to him. I can't even do the moonwalk, Jesus, but I'm going to do it with you. I know I look silly. Dude. Why? I don't know why we're doing, why we doing this, Lord. So shut up and just dance with me. All right. Right? What do you do if you look out the window and you see one person moonwalking with Jesus? Go join them. Why? Because if one person's moonwalking with Jesus, then the world is twice as likely to see him as they were before. If two people are moonwalking with Jesus, the world is three times as likely to see him as they were before. If a thousand people are moonwalking with Jesus, then the world is a million times more likely to... Listen, I'm telling you, if we would just start moonwalking with Jesus, the world would begin to see him. But you got to get out of your comfort zone. And you got to get over your fear of rejection. Because let me tell you something. Yeah, they're going to reject you. It's going to happen. But you know what, the church, we are so sappy and so wimpy, so afraid of rejection. Get over it. Jesus said a servant is not greater than their master. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. So, yeah. Let me tell you a little story. Robert D. Smith. He talked about. When he was in college, he was a door-to-door book salesman. And he said, the first day I went out there and I knocked on the door, I said, excuse me, I got this catalog of books. Are you interested in subscribing to some of my books? They said, no, get off my porch. Bam, slammed the door in his face. How would you feel if that happened to you? He felt terrible. He said, I just just wanted to quit right there. I thought, nobody wants these books. I went to another door. Same thing happened. Three, four times in a row. I thought, this is going to be a long summer. He said, but then that night I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. The person who's most successful in this company simply has amassed more rejections than anybody else. That is, the person who is the most tolerant of rejection is the person who's the most successful. So he got this idea. In order to be the most successful salesman in this company, what I need to do is get rejected more than anybody else. 
So he started asking all the big salesmen, how many people reject you a day? I don't care how many accept. How many people reject you a day? People are like, I get rejected 22 times a day. I get rejected 25 times a day. So he said to himself, I need 30 rejections a day if I'm going to be number one. So that became his goal to get 30 people to reject me every day. The next day he went out, knocked on the door. Do you want to buy these books? No. Bam. Yes. Got one. 29 to go. And he would not quit on any given day until he had gotten rejected 30 times. He said his rejections were always interrupted by two or three or four people who actually bought books from him. And he was almost a little bit disappointed when somebody bought one from him. Because he said, man, I got to stay out here longer now because I need more rejections. And of course, he became the number one salesman in his company. One person rejects the gospel and you quit sharing it. You pray for healing and one person doesn't get healed. I guess I ain't got that gift. Share the gospel and they don't get saved. Well, I'm just not an evangelist. See, I'm not an evangelist. I mean, I know Jesus said the field is wide and the harvest and labor is a few. So what I do is pray the Lord of the harvest. I, I'm not actually going to be a laborer in the harvest. I just stay over here and pray the Lord of the harvest. Lord, send laborers over there because I'm not willing to be one. That's not my gift. What if you said, I'm going to get 10 people to reject the gospel every day? 10 people. That's all I need. 10 people. 70 people a week. 3,650 people a year are going to reject the gospel. You know what? You'll be the greatest evangelist that this world has ever seen. You find out what? More people are rejecting you than me? I'm upping it to 20. I need 20 people to reject the gospel a day. I need 50 people a day to tell me I don't want that Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Got another one. You know what? It's not your job to save people. It's your job to bear witness. And if you and I would be a witness and let the Lord do the saving, then we would not discriminate. We wouldn't walk away feeling like a failure because it didn't happen. We simply did what God, in other words, we were sensitive to the moonwalking bear. And we decided to moonwalk with him. The fact that somebody doesn't accept the gospel doesn't mean that God didn't tell you to share it with them. Because a lot of people that Jesus talked to rejected him to his face. And then the last thing I'll share. I recently heard a pastor share a testimony. And he said, you know, I'm not used to supernatural things or God speaking to me in a supernatural way. He said, but I got in a cab and I was getting a ride to the airport. And, uh, you know, he said, I like to just, he said, I'm an introvert. So I like to just go into this, you know, this private mode when I get into cabs, you know. And so he said, I got in the cab and I was just shutting down. And he said, all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me and said, you got to talk to this cab driver. And I thought, no, Lord, I want to talk to this guy. And the Lord said, no, you got to talk to him. So he said, all right. So I said, hey, uh, what's your name? And the guy said, Mohammed. And I thought, oh, no. So I said to the guy, I said, "Uh, well, Mohammed, what do you think about Jesus? And he said, the guy gave me an answer that was completely out of left field. I mean, completely the opposite of everything that I believe about Jesus. And I thought, oh, great. So he said, I thought, Lord, what do you want me to say to this guy? And he said, all of a sudden, I saw this big old brain. And I felt like maybe the Lord's telling me he's smart. So I said to him, are you an academic? And the guy said, yes, I have a master's degree in molecular engineering. How did you know? I said, oh, cool, cool. He said, so I prayed, okay, God, come on, something else. What else you got? Come on. I don't know what else to say to this guy. He said, all of a sudden, I saw a big woman. He said, but I didn't know how to bring that up. He said, so I just said, um, is there a big woman in your life? And she said, and the guy said, yes, how did you know? She's causing me all kinds of trouble. And he said, uh, he said, well, Jesus is telling me this stuff. He said, the guy got quiet and he said, sir, I think I'm going to cry. And so he said to the man, he said, well, listen, dude, I think you need to say yes to Jesus. And the man said, how do I do that? He said, just repeat this prayer with me. And he led him in the sinner's prayer and the man broke down and just started bawling, bawling and bawling and crying and crying. 
And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, now open up your wallet and give the man all the money you have. And he said, I was like, oh, heck no. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Lord, I just went to the ATM. I'm getting ready to get on this plane and go to New York, and I am not giving him all of my vacation money. And he said, I was arguing, and he said, I was thinking, that wasn't the Lord. That was religion. That wasn't, that was just a, that was a religious spirit. Get thee behind me, you religious spirit. And he said, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, you're wrestling in your heart as to whether that was me or not. It doesn't matter. You just need to learn how to give everything you got. So he said, fine, Lord. He said, they pulled up at the curb. He said, I got out of the cab. I reached in my wallet. I pulled out this big wad of cash. And I said, here, the Lord told me to give you this. He said, but the man ran back around to the front of his door and said, sir, you cannot give me money. For you have already given me the greatest gift that I have ever received. And he just closed his eyes, stayed in his own little world on that cab drive. Jesus would have just moonwalked right by this man that he wanted to save. Are you willing to moonwalk with Jesus? When you hear him say, go talk to that person over there. Are you willing to go? Oh, but what if it's not the Lord? Who cares? Do you think Satan is telling you to go talk to people about Jesus? I'm going to trip up the church by telling them to share the gospel and pray for healing. Say, well, maybe it's my flesh. Really? Your flesh wants to share the gospel? You know what? Even if it's not, I mean, even if you didn't get a word from the Lord, a vision from heaven, it can't hurt. The worst that could happen is you could get personally rejected. But is it worth the risk? Yes, absolutely, yes. See, I have an anointing for sharing false words and knowledge. I'm good at it. I'm better than anybody you know. Is there a Jasmine in the house right now? No? Dang it. Matthew Kim? I can't tell you how many times I've done that. But you know what pushes me every time? Every time I feel like I got a word. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've gotten a lot of them right, okay? But I've also gotten a lot of them wrong. But every time I'm sitting there and I'm wrestling in my heart, I'm like, God, don't do this to me. Don't do God, come on now. You know whether I'm right or wrong right now. Will you tell a brother? And the Lord's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. I want to see if you love Jasmine enough to risk being personally humiliated. Wow. Is there a Jasmine in the house? I'm going to ask. You know why? I love Jasmine too much. Just in case she exists. You know what I found? I called Pastor Daniels after I did that a few weeks ago. I said, I'm a royal failure. I can't hear from God. I wouldn't recognize a word from the Lord if it slapped me in the face. And I told him what I did. I got up and said, somebody here is named Jasmine. There's nobody in the house named Jasmine. I said, I need to stop giving them fake words from the Lord up there prophelying at church. And he said, no, son. He said, you know why you did it? Because you love Jasmine too much to let her miss the word of the Lord. And you were willing to be personally humiliated. To reach for her. You knew that two things could happen. One, there could be a Jasmine out there who gets blasted by the love of God. Or two, there's not one out there and you get blasted with humiliation. And you were willing to take the risk. You know why? Because you loved her. And love never fails. See, I'm always afraid. What if I'm wrong? Listen, let me tell you something. Love can do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing, but it still doesn't fail. That's 
It never fails. It never fails. And you know why Jesus continues to moonwalk his way street to street, house to house, place to place, location to location, building to building, person to person, even though he's largely ignored. It's because his love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. Billions of people throughout history have rejected him, but he continues to offer himself. Here I am. Here I am. Will you moonwalk with Jesus? Will you join the dance? You say, I'm going to dance with Jesus. I'm going to offer the love of God where it looks like there's no love. You find yourself praying for somebody and you feel like nothing's happening, nothing's changing. I'm powerless. You have no idea how powerful that moment is. I don't care if I don't see any change. I'm moonwalking with Jesus. And he's here today. I want you to know today that Jesus has moonwalked his way right into this service right now. Right into this service, right where you are. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of it. Come on, just turn your heart to him right now. Just turn your heart to him right now. He's in the middle of it. He's not in the margins. He's not off to the side. He's not in the periphery. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of your situation. He's in the middle of your life. Get your eyes off the ball. Get your eyes off the game. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look for the donkey. He's coming as king. He's coming as king. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Make a decision. I'm going to look for him every day. I'm going to look for him every day. I'm going to look for him every day. I'm going to seek him and I'm going to find him. Because I'm going to search for him with all of my heart. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. There's some of you here today that you don't know Jesus. You don't have a personal relationship with him. You haven't received him into your heart as Savior and Lord. Listen, I'm not just asking you to to say a momentary prayer. I'm asking you to open your eyes and see that Jesus has been moonwalking through your life every day. I'm asking you to acknowledge him. And I'm asking you to make a decision each and every day to open your eyes. And say, Lord, let me see you. Don't let me miss you anymore. Heal me of my ignorance. It's not about adhering to a philosophy that we call Christianity. It's about relating to a Lord that we call Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, I'm ready to open my heart. I'm ready to acknowledge who he is. You say, I don't know him. But today I want to begin a relationship with him. And I want to walk with him for the rest of my life. Nobody's looking around. Every eye closed. Every head bowed. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. I want to lift your. I want you to lift your hand so I can pray for you right now. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Lift your hands one more time. Lift them high. Lift them high. Lift them high. Lift them high. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This is a powerful moment. Your eyes are being opened. Your eyes are being opened right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I see you. Thank you. I, th- I see your hands. Hallelujah. I want you all that lifted your hands and everyone, everyone, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. I invite you to come into my heart, not just as healer, but as my king, not just as savior, but as my Lord. Open my eyes. Heal me of my ignorance. Heal me of my ignorance and cause me to see you every day. Thank you that you keep walking with me. Thank you that you keep reaching for me. I receive you today. Father, I receive your love. And I receive your son. I receive salvation in his name. And I give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Give God a shout of praise. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every angel in heaven rejoices when one person sees the moonwalking bear. When one person looks past the ball and sees the bear. One person sees Jesus and every angel in heaven rejoices. Hallelujah. One more thing I want to say today. One more thing. Others of you here today, you say, I know Jesus. Just bow your heads just for another moment. Others of you here today, you say, I know Jesus. I've walked with him for a long time but I haven't been willing to dance with him. 
I've been so afraid of the humiliation. So afraid of the shame that would come from it. So afraid that if I identify with him, they'll reject me the way they reject him. But today I'm making a decision. When I see him, it's time to dance. If I see him dancing over and talking to a homeless person, I'm going to go dance with him. If I see him even feeding that person, I'm going to dance with him. I see him talking to somebody. If I see him wanting to touch a life, I'm going to dance with him. I'm going to dance with him. And I'm not going to fear rejection anymore. I'm making a decision. I'm going to eat rejection for breakfast from now on. If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand. Yes. 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 Yes, Father, I thank you for these that are raising their hands right now. This is such a powerful moment right here. Hallelujah. Wow. I just see thousands of people being saved because of this moment. Thousands of lives being changed just through you who are lifting your hands right now. Thousands of lives are being saved. Thousands of lives being changed. Thousands of people are being impacted by the power of Jesus Christ just because you lifted your hand right now and said yes to Jesus. I'm going to dance with you. Father, I pray that you pour out an anointing of the Holy Spirit on those who have lifted their hands right now. Pour out a double portion anointing of the Holy Spirit. Another level of anointing. Another level of power. Another level of boldness. And remove every power of fear. Every power of intimidation. Every power of rejection. I remove it from your life. And Father, I thank you for it. I give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Just stand up on your feet and begin to give God some praise. Can you do that? Just, just give God some glory. Come on, just begin to glorify your name.